HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Virgola, a unique oyster bar and Italian wine bar founded in New York City. For more information, visit virgolanyc.com. I'm Greg Bresnitz. And I'm Darren Bresnitz. We're the host of Snacky Tunes. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Love Bites, where dining and dating collide, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. Today is Monday, February 1st. I'm one of your hosts, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find my work and me as wordsfoodart.com. I'm 34 straight and single. And I am your other host, Ben Rosenblatt. Don't forget about me. Hello. Hello, we're drinking wine. Um, of course. I am an actor, writer, musician, occasional bartender, and server. You can check me out at benrosenblattactor.com. I am 33, straight, and in a committed relationship. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Wouldn't it be crazy kidding. if one day we're like, oh, bye. Well, by the way, we're not single anymore. We're hooked. We're hitched. That's never going to happen. Never it's gonna never going to happen for us. In a little bit, we're going to be joined by author Lisa Phillips of Unrequited Women and Romantic Obsession. And so I want to talk about unrequited love in our lives today, too, Ben. Oh, boy. So right we're back get to, to getting that. into like the nitty gritty. You know, we had Deep one shit. episode of like light and, mm-hmm. you know, casual. And now here we are again. <sighs> but first, before we get to that, um, Valentine's Day is coming up soon. We're a show about love. You know, so we've got some Valentine's Day stuff. We're can we just start skip that? Can we just like pretend we? it doesn't exist this it's year? It's not exactly the happiest holiday for single people. It's um, all right. All right. But first, we're excited. Virgola, our sponsor for a couple of weeks, is doing a very cool promotion for us. Go into either location in uh, 28, 28 Greenwich Avenue in the West Village or 111 East 7th Street in the East Village. And you get a round of Virgola Prosecco. On us and our first, very first guest, Joseph Morazzo. It which is tasty. Is, it is very tasty. You've got to order something. You can't just go in and get your Prosecco and leave. But go on in and mention Love Bites Radio that you listen to us. Say hi to Joseph. Say hi to the managers, O.C. and Alberto. 
give them some love and uh, try the Prosecco and then let us know, you know, what you think about it. Get some moistures, get some cheese, have a, have a good night. And those scallops we talked about. And those scallops we talked about. So you can do that through Valentine's day at Virgola. Check them out. VirgolaUSA.com. And also our, our beverage today comes courtesy of Mark West Black Pinot Noir. Take a sip, Ben. Tell me what you think. Okay, here we go. They describe it as our deepest, darkest, boldest wine yet. (sighs) What do you think, Ben? Mm. It is deep. It is very deep. It's, it's a, luscious. It's a, pinot, it's a full pinot, but it's it very is. deep. It is. It's like I was saying to you before, it's a little bit like darker and deeper than like a red wine that I would typically go for, but it's also very smooth it's and very tasty. It's not heavy. It's not tasty. like having a cab or something. Yeah. yeah, it's very smooth. It's Pretty very nice. soft. Yeah. So Mark West Black Pinot Noir. It's from Monterey County, California. You can find it at markwestwines.com. Click on their, on their where to find it. And uh, we will tweet them pictures of us drinking it. At, at, uh, at Mark West Winery, or you can hashtag Mark West Black. It's pretty delicious, so we're psyched about that. Finally, before we jump into this unrequited shit, uh, our guest... Unrequited shit. Unrequited shit. Uh, one of our guests, Anthony Raymond, the director, the artistic director of, of Elsinore County Theater Company, premiered his newest play, Yeah, I Met This Girl. It opened on Friday. I was there. I saw it. It's basically every dating cliche that we talked about in our last show of 2015, where he broke down some dating cliches. It's basically all of those cliches, plus a bunch more that we didn't get to, theatrically presented. It's very witty. It's very funny. It's very dark. It's very poignant. So, yeah. Lots of adjectives. Lots of adjectives. So, uh, it's. Did they use that British accent in it? No, he didn't. No, one person did. One woman did, actually. Oh. Yeah, there's always some British accent thrown in there on, in Anthony's shows. So it's, uh, it runs through Friday, uh, sorry, Sunday, Valentine's Day. It's at the theater, St. Mark's Theater at 94 St. Mark's Place. Tickets are $25 more at www.elsinorecounty.com. Check them out. We love them. So that's, that's our business. And now, Benjamin, I have a question for you. Yeah. Tell me about... Your experience with unrequited love, how far has it gone? Oh, how far has it gone? Like, you mean like how deeply invested have I gotten? Yeah, because like when, we he- when we head to the book, we're going to talk about the difference between just like being in love with someone who doesn't love you back and then that turning into romantic obsession. So how far have you gone? I mean, I will say that I've, in my past, I've gotten pretty obsessed with in what, some in women. How it's so? actually like I've definitely had some what unrequited love. What have your actions love. been? Um, I mean, my actions have never gotten like way over the top, but my internal experience has been pretty all consuming and unrelenting and like against my own will being like unable to like stop thinking against my own will. Like, I, like there have been times where like, I've really just wanted to be able to think about other things and do other things, but pretty much like unfortunately waking up in the morning the first thing on my mind is like the object of my unrequited love and going to sleep the last thing on my mind is that and pretty much every moment in between that has been the case for me at least like a couple times in my life what was the most extreme time was it somebody that you had been in a relationship with or somebody who the potential had started and had never come into fruition um it was someone who i dated for like a couple months um and that we were never really in an exclusive committed relationship, but I had felt like it was going there and then it didn't. Why didn't it? She didn't want it to. Why didn't she want it to? I, you know, I got many different answers from her on that. Uh, 
throughout the many times that I asked her that question. Um, and, you know, I still am a little bit unclear on that. Because she gave you different answers, do you think that contributed to the fact that there was nothing black and white that you could agree with? Was it because, I mean, did she, did you disagree with all of the answers that she gave you? Yes. And I thought they were all bullshit. Ah, so, all right. So yeah, so that, that definitely is a big part of unrequited love is other not knowing, I think. Yeah. I or think not the reason like not being able to have finality. It's because you, the, to you, it's open-ended to you. The door is not shut. Totally. I mean, I think for me, part of what gets me hooked into unrequited love is a mixture of two things, hope and doubt. And so when there's like you, I have high hopes, but then also doubt. And the way those two things interact with each other creates like this thing in my head that I need to like, that I'm trying to figure out or that I'm trying right. to like. So what do you do in those circumstances? What is your, how does your, your, uh, I mean, obsession is not always the right word, but how do, I mean, how do your actions manifest? I, I mean, when you toward are, the person. Yeah. Or, uh, or even with yourself, like what are the th- what are the things that you do? Oh man! When you were pining, are over we going to talk about you at all during this? Uh, Maybe in a little bit, but you first. <laughs> okay. You first. All right. Okay. Um, I think there there's a, a few things I do. One is trying to stop thinking about. Like once I feel like it's a totally lost cause, I try to get myself out of thinking about it because otherwise you're just stuck you know um so i've you know tried different tactics to try to like get myself to stop thinking about it um but it's really really hard in this one instance that i'm referring that i've been talking about this is a person who was in very present in my everyday life every single day um so it's really hard to kind of stop thinking about the person and focus on other things when they're there so were were you not able to focus on other things did other things in your life lapse comparatively um, well, for me, it's tricky. Like, uh, I know a lot of people in their experience with unrequited love, like struggle with their work and stuff like that. Their work suffers. For me, my work is very emotional as an actor. And so it actually feeds my work deeper. in like a really great way. Um, it like gives me all these different like colors to work with and these like pains to all of a sudden every comedy of. is now a tragedy. Well, no, I mean, even great comedy is, is you know, comedy comic because someone is in such deep pain, you know, um, <laughs> Lots of sad clowns yeah. racing the stage when Ben is in an unrequited love situation. Yeah. So actually in, in that aspect, like it, I, I probably did some of my best acting, um, when I was in my most oh. tormented and like miserable state. Crap. I just remembered like a similar situation where I was actually playing a character the last bad breakup I had where I was the on the receiving end which doesn't happen often for me when, when it does I the get receiving bad end of- like I got broken up with and I oh, it okay. wasn't over for me and I kept being like oh it's not over and yeah I was in a play that actually you saw it was not the best play in the world but there was like there, but I, my character was I mean I remember one line was something about like it, that's the simplest thing to want in the world to be loved by someone more than they love anything else or something like that but it was just so like these lines that I had that I couldn't not cry during which worked wonderfully for the character but I was like this broken hearted character that all of a sudden it became very fucking real yeah and yeah and, and I think like actors or people who like emotions mm-hmm. are maybe like somehow more susceptible to unrequited love a little bit because like one of the major parts of unrequited love is the fantasy of what exists on the other side. Right. And we're constantly as artists looking for the fantasy of what could be. Yeah. And so I think having that, those big feelings of longing 
and like desire for this thing and the way that it plays on our imagination and the way our imagination shapes the fantasy um, is like all part of kind so of. So for for you being an, does an, does being an artist harm or help? Does it make does it extend this period of longing or does it help you? Do you think sort of come to a conclusion faster? You know, it might. I remember there being a time when I was like really broken up and really in just a terrible place and like coming out of that a little bit and thinking shit like i'm not gonna be the actor that i was and like i was like wondering Mm. how that was gonna like play on you know who i am and like how i allowed myself to um i don't know if recover is the white word but to heal um so I don't know. That's a weird, like, interesting <laughs> thing. It's like, you know, obviously the kind of stereotype of the tormented artist. Right. Um, and yeah, that, that it makes good art. It does, I just think about another piece that I did like a good year after about this. Uh, it's one of the best pieces I've done in my entire life. It's Tom Koish's uh, Thin Air. It's a 16 minute monologue and I've done it for four different theaters um, five different times. And it was about a woman, a high wire walker who loses her husband, her partner, who is a husband. And he, dies during their act on the high wire and I did it after this breakup and talking about loss and not being able to fix it or do anything about it and it was another yeah it's really funny how yeah. how fuel and that can be fuel for and, and I mean when art. you think about the great pieces of art that move you right like they are tend to be or for me at least they tend to be things that come from you know Great pain, right. unfortunately. All right, we've gone on a tangent about our art because we're lucky that we have that avenue. But I have a question for you because uh, we've talked about how you have suffered from OCD in your life and romantic obsession can often be correlated with OCD. So do you feel like your experience with uh, with obsession and compulsion, do you feel like that has contributed to or, if not, given you tools that since you've worked with overcoming your compulsions... Has that affected, do you think, those periods yeah. either way? I mean, there's definitely a link between um, OCD and obsessive love. And um, so, yes and no. I mean, I it was difficult for me to employ the sort of therapeutic techniques that I learned mm. um, to cope with my OCD in the situation where I was in love because I also felt like I wanted to be in love and I wanted like if I can just get her to love me then like (laughs) which is you know pathetic and terrible and sad no but but also but also beautiful and human like I'm nodding my head like yeah you want you want to do you want the person that you love to love you back yeah and I felt like if if I could just have that then like I don't want to get rid of this uh, Mm -hmm. like obsession like if I could just be this in (sighs) love with someone who loved me back like all my like my all my problems would go away, right? Like that, and that's part of like the trap of unrequited of love, right? I think is is the myth that what's on the other side is an all-consuming, everlasting, right. life-saving love. Right. We're definitely going to get to that with with Lisa. Definitely. Um, before we go to our commercial break, I guess we should say that we have a lighter side of unrequited love on our website right now. We just posted a list of our, I mean, it's not just about our unrequited, but our, our breakup songs and our breakup food, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Breakups tend to like some. If you're the one who's getting broken up with, right. like I feel like there's always like a little unrequited, of course, love at the end there right. where you're like trying to be like, wait, what? You don't you don't fucking love me anymore? Right. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> wait, Please how, love how did me that, again. how did that happen? Yesterday you you emptied out a drawer. Today you're kicking me out. Uh, yeah, so I was I was listening to a song the other day and I was like, oh Ben, this is a great song for when you're over your unrequited love. And we decided to make you guys playlists. So on our website www.lovebitesradio.com um there are both ben's and my picks which are pretty awesome they run all i mean i've got babs on mine and we've got clapton and we've got robbie gill and we've got who else guns and roses guns and roses pearl jam pearl jam tom waits tom features waits. heavily on mine i i like to smoke things and listen to tom waits and walk my dog she has a massive crack pipe that no <laughs> don't tell me about that that is not true that is 100,000 percent not true but yeah so we've got some amazing music plus uh two very different types of food lists for ben and i for what we reach for so head to our website lovebitesradio.com tell us about that and then also like tweet us on facebook and comment us yours so that the next time either of us are in a hole somewhere clinging to each other and crying we have some ideas of more music to listen yes, to please yeah i'm a little disappointed that we didn't get to talk about your unrequited love oh, scenarios yes. today but i think <laughs> we'll we'll find a time for that unfortunately time dictates that we need to take a little break Woo-hoo. uh so first just another quick shout out to our sponsor virgula head over there and grab yourself a nice glass of prosecco um also thank you for your reviews on itunes we have five stars on itunes five stars i think there's baby. like five of you who said that but still we're our average is good it's pretty awesome and some people have said some really nice things about us which is of course very flattering so please um those of you who haven't done so yet hop over there and write us a review yourselves read all of them they really help us they mean a lot to us um we will be back very shortly with author lisa a phillips stay tuned Virgola is a unique oyster bar and Italian wine bar founded in New York City. They're known for their daily selection of fresh oysters and also offer a variety of crudo, caviar, and imported salumi and cheeses. Virgola features an exclusively Italian wine list, which is highlighted by their very own Virgola Prosecco and Virgola Spumante Rosé. Their original location at 28 Greenwich Avenue is set in a restored 1800s alleyway, only 6 feet wide by 60 feet long, perfect for intimate occasions and first dates. Their second location is at 111 East 7th Street in the East Village, featuring a long metal bar, room for larger groups, and celebrations. For more information, visit virgolanyc.com. 
Lisa A. Phillips is the author of Public Radio, Behind the Voices, and Unrequited Women and Romantic Obsessions. Her articles have appeared in many national publications, including the New York Times, Psychology Today, Cosmopolitan, the Boston Globe, and her voice on NPR. She is currently a journalism professor at SUNY New Paltz, and Unrequited, which we're going to focus on today, was recently released in paperback by HarperCollins on January 27th. You can find Lisa at lisaaphillips.com and on Twitter as Lisa, Lisa My Phillips. That's Phillips with two L's. And you can find Unrequited in all the obvious places that books are sold. We highly suggest you do. Welcome to the show via uh, a phone, Lisa. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here. Both of us have been pretty obsessed with this book for the past couple of it's weeks. It's a good book. Well it's done. A really good book. Um, so the book covers a lot, listeners. It covers a lot extremely well. It traces how romantic obsession has been viewed for men and women throughout history in both psychology and romantic literature. It dispels myths and misconceptions, and it's woven with so many stories of women who have experienced unrequited love in various extremes, as well as Lisa's own personal story. So we're going to start there. Uh, so Lisa, years ago, you started building intimacy and potential for a relationship with a man that didn't really go anywhere, and then you sort of walked the line of being obsessed with him. So what to this day shocks you about your behavior during that period? Yeah, I was deeply obsessed with this person in the book. I call him B. And um, basically what happened is he was saying some, seeing someone else and kept saying he intended to break up with her and he didn't do this. Um, and so I pursued him very aggressively to the point of doing what I call in the book soft-stalking, where I called him compulsively, messaged him compulsively, followed him around unseen. And the lowest moment in a lot of ways was when I snuck into his apartment building, banged on the door until he opened it, and he opened it with a baseball bat in one hand and the phone in the other, dialing 911. Um, So what shocks me about that time still is that I felt incapable of stopping myself from doing these things and from stopping my thoughts, what Ben was talking about before. And and also what shocks me is I thought all this was going to work, that he'd be moved by my expression of ardor and persistence and become mine. What? Why do we fall into this trap? What is it that makes people experience unrequited love and think that these things are going to work? How does like what's going on in our brains, or what are what is our like inner motivation here? Um, you know, there's so many reasons that people get into uh, unrequited love, and it's important to keep in mind that. Really, every relationship, every love relationship, or almost every love relationship begins with this period of mystery when you don't really know how the other person feels. It's the crush phase, and that phase in many ways can be really sweet, uh, though also tortured, because you're doing that thing that, Ben, you mentioned about doubt and hope, doubt and hope. Um, You're living with a mystery, and you're trying to figure out how the other person feels, and then something will get started, or it won't or it'll get started and it gets cut off. And then the person who's still into the other person remains really involved, thinking about the person and the feelings get more intense anyway. So unrequited love is really human and really common. About 90% or more of us experience it in some form. And so if you're going to break this conundrum down, there's three main motivators that researchers have identified. 
for being in unrequited love. We think we have a shot at the person. We think we can win them. That's one. Another one is that we really value the person. We think they are, they are it. Um, and then the third one is that we're getting something out of that state of being in unrequited love. It's a quest. It goads us on creatively. There's something about that state that is appealing to us. And I think I could basically relate at different points in my obsession to all three of those motivating factors. How much of this is, you you mentioned in the book um, along these lines that we knock on the door, but we don't exactly want it to be open because we are chasing not necessarily a mirage, but, you know, a, a projection, yeah, of what we've put on this person. When things get to the point of danger, when they, you know, when they become less about, oh, I'm pining for this person and my actions are uncontrollable because I'm pining for this person, how much is really based in reality that we do think we can get it, and how much is us is us wanting the impossible? Um, I think probably for different people in different situations, there are going to be different combinations, you know, of that fantasy and of a certain degree of reality. Because as we know, what happens in that mating dance we do with other people isn't always clear. You know, we'll often get some signs of interest. I certainly did. Um, but then not really the sign of interest that we're really looking for, which is that person is, is, is all in and, and wants you back. Um, and then as far as that whole idea of, you know, we want to knock on the door and we don't want it to be open, it's because when you open it, you get reality. You get the fact of someone saying, I'm ambivalent or I don't want you at all or you, you sort of face the unrequited love aspect of it. So it's often safer to not, you know, not open the door and to keep dreaming and thinking and hoping. And I do want to say that this state is really easy to diss. Like, oh, you're fantasizing, you're delusional, you're wasting your time. But, you know, even though I'm very much someone who cautions people against getting lost in unrequited love to the point where it's self-destructive or destructive to other people, I also feel like there's a lot to defend about the state of being in unrequited love. When we have a fantasy, whether it's about another person or about our futures, um, things we want to do, it gives us a lot of information about where we're at and what we want out of life. So I don't think we should throw the baby out of the bathwater, out with the bathwater here. I think it's important to... um, try and see what's valuable in that preoccupation. And in doing so, we might be able to prevent the more yucky side of it from surging forth because we turn the attention toward ourselves and and why we're feeling what we're feeling instead of, I got to get this person. Well, I mean, and like we talked about before with Ben, it feels good to feel those really high emotions too, like feeling that much can feel good. But you talk, uh, you, you have stories in the book about some women who sort of feel like they're making a very brave, grand, and romantic gesture. But some of them are able to stop themselves before it turns into an ugly place, and others aren't. Some people catch themselves, some people don't. All of a sudden, there are police involved, or there is physical danger. Um, So what is the difference between these two kind of women, you know, that some of us stop ourselves and can sort of see things clearly, and other people can't and things go you know they cross a line that is a very scary dangerous line to cross yeah um that's an excellent question oh i feel like we lost her lisa oh no it's a very interesting question we're dying to know the answer 
Okay, our engineer is checking on that, so we're going to keep chatting for a second until we get Lisa back on the line. Ben, what are you? you you're making gestures to me right now. What well, are you yeah, I was just. I was, well, I was just thinking about what Lisa was saying in her last answer, which is that we get there's information that we get. Um, there's a learning experience to be had from unrequited love. Definitely. Um, I mean, I know from my own experience with it that you know I'm I'm less susceptible to it now than I was. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, I'm, and I think that has to do with my experience in it and like what I gained or didn't gain from it. And like, I now am more able to sort of have, see when it's not going to go the way that I want it to go and like protect myself, protect my feelings. I worry about that part. I worry that I'm protecting myself too much now because of the last period of of ugly unrequited love that I felt, which I think we'll explore. We should definitely talk about this on the show. We have Lisa back on the line now, um, but I think we should definitely make sure that you and I talk about our experiences as, as far as uh, making sure that unrequited love and going through something like that doesn't then make you jaded. Cause I was definitely personally worried about that. The last time I got dumped mm. that I was going to be jaded. So let's definitely talk about that. But Lisa, do we have you back on the line? Yes, I'm here. Wonderful. Okay. So yeah, we were just saying, what is the difference between the woman who crosses the line and the woman who doesn't? Yeah, um, I wanted to first talk about what's similar about them, which is that um, they're, they're, both groups are doing something straight girls are not supposed to do, which is take the lead in romance and chase what you want. There's still a lot of stigma against boy chasing, even though a lot of it goes on. Um, and the research shows that women do pursue relationships, and they go overboard just like men do. So there's nothing about being female that makes women inherently more passive in the mating game and their urge to pursue can be really fierce so they they basically women who go overboard are dealing with the same conundrum that a man would which is that how much is too much you know how much is just being really eager and trying hard and then when does it become invasive um the people who become invasive and aggressive and can't hear no and can't stop um, the factors involved, what makes them different is one is the degree of emotional distress over the relationship, and the other has to do with the meaning you place on the person, um, how you connect them with larger and more important life goals. I think we, we all know that syndrome of like the last man on earth, you know, he's it. He's the only one I can have lasting love with. Well, that is definitely a situation where you're placing such high value on a person that it seems like you should do anything for that person. You know, if they're going to be the last man on earth, you're going to bang on their door till they open it. Um, and I think the other thing that separates people who cross the line is that really you stop seeing the other person's humanity. It becomes about what you mm. want and how the person's going to complete you, not about that person's feelings in the matter. And what um, a couple of experts I talked to used was the, the word narcissism that this is a narcissistic state because you think the problem is in the beloved's failure to love you, but the problem really is in your insistence that that person complete who you are and your goals. And that's so challenging for people in unrequited love to accept because, you know, I'm sure the both of you and all your conversations know you can just spend endless time analyzing what is wrong with the person that you're chasing and the person who's denying you love. And you may even use that term, he's a narcissist. You know, she's, she's a narcissist for denying, you know, loving me, for pushing me away. 
you want to diagnose that other person, but it's kind of a dead end. And really the only thing left is for you to look at yourself, and that's what becomes so difficult when you are in this compulsion to stalk and chase and invade. I just had this question pop up for me as you were talking about um, the difference that men and women, the roles that men and women play in relationships and in pursuing each other. And your book is about unrequited love as it pertains to women, but obviously we know men are capable of unrequited love as well. Are women more susceptible to it? And what's maybe is there are there differences in the experience that a woman faces in unrequited love as opposed to a man? You know, it's not that women suffer from it any more than men. In fact, all indication uh, there is that women and men suffer from unrequited love at about the same rates, and they do really similar things to chase an unrequited love and win the person over. I think um, some of the differences on the more extreme end is that men are far more likely to be labeled or to be prosecuted as as criminal stalkers. They're three times more likely than women. Um, but the definition of criminal stalking involves fear and feeling that you're threatened. And so what happens is women, in many ways, are doing the same thing. They've actually researched this. They're, you know, they're over-messaging. They're threatening. They're lashing out. They're hurting, physically harming, stealing property, showing up unexpectedly, all those things. Um, but it's, again, that, that reaction and the perception of what they're doing. They still have a great impact on the people that they're chasing, but it doesn't necessarily cause that, that feeling of like, oh, my God, I'm scared for my life. I have to call the police. Um, that male and female stalking usually does. What does that do for the man as the victim emotionally comparatively. You do talk in the book about the gender bias against against uh, men for when the woman is the pursuer. Like, what are we not discussing about the men being the victim? Like, you, re- you reference celebrities. that If a female celebrity stalks a male celebrity, it's sort of, you know, we, we laugh it off and we sort of expect the man to be flattered. What is this doing for the men when they're the pursued? It's not so good. You know, basically, they end up in this conundrum where they are invisible victims, because uh, there are two things that tend to happen. One is um, that their men are less likely to be taken seriously if they pursue help uh, for being the target of stalking by a woman, because people will say, oh, you know, you can handle this yourself, or in some other way, blame them for what's going on. Um, and, and that's the other thing, that, that women, that we tend to ascribe um, fault to the men, like, okay, what did you do to deserve this? So there are all these ways in which we erase the experience of their very real victimization here, um, you know, by saying, like, oh, why don't you just take advantage of this? The apple's fallen into your lap. Why don't you eat it? Meaning, why don't you take advantage of the sexual opportunity that uh, a female stalker supposedly puts forth? Um, whereas, you know, in fact, if you don't want to be with someone, you do not want to be with somebody, and that's that. Um, so it's important to, um, for us to start to see that in our sense of what it means to be the target of stalking, that, that men can be very vulnerable, can be very affected by what goes on here, and that women also have to own up to, you know, if you're chasing down this guy and, you know, bashing his headlights out or something like that, that's not like some feminist revenge, you know, that is 
real violence and not so good for anyone. It's not good for you and it's not good for the guy. So there, there's no, nothing that makes it right about it being done by a woman. So I think there's, there's sort of a subtle cultural uh, stereotype at play here where women can't really do harm in that capacity so that what they do isn't really serious and isn't really real when they're chasing someone. Mm. One last question for you, because uh, we're running out of time here, but you share some stories in the book of some women who experience unrequited obsession once and then never again, um, and they think later, like, how could I have been doing all of that? Um, but what are the indicators that once someone has been through that, that they might do it again? I think generally it has to do with, you know, your personal psychological landscape. Uh, how we're raised is really key. If your earliest caretakers weren't reliably there for you, the mother, the father figure, the caretaker figure, you're more likely to develop what psychologists call the insecure or anxious attachment style where you're, you're needy and you have unrealistic expectations of love. And this is definitely a risk factor for chasing too hard and stalking when you're an adult. And then there are also the cases in which you have this, this kind of wound, again, the, the, the less than available parent who, um, this is what you know in life. So you transfer that feeling of wanting to, to fix that or at least being most familiar with that conundrum and you just reenact it again and again in adult life. So those are the people who tend to be more stuck in this cycle. Um, whereas for other people, it's just that they, at this one point in their life, just place too much value and get too drawn into a particular situation and they'll talk about it as a a one-time kind of cataclysmic thing like that was the case in my story we are both cringing here because we have so many things we want to ask you about and we're running out of time so listeners we might shoot lisa a couple more questions that maybe she can you maybe you'll answer for us via email and we can put them up on our website because your book is very very fascinating so we thank you so much for for writing it and for speaking with us today, Lisa. Yeah, it was great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we will we'll be in touch because we have a billion more questions we could ask. Oh, um, great. I would love that. And I, I would love to put my own Unrequited Love song list because I loved yours. Yeah, oh, okay, great. good. All right, we're gonna, that'll, that'll balance out the very serious things that we have to ask you. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Lisa. We really appreciate it. And we'll speak again with you very, very soon. Unrequited Women and Romantic Obsession is out again now by HarperCollins in paperback. Uh, you can get it on Amazon and everywhere else. You can find Lisa at LisaAPhillips.com and as Lisa My Phillips on Twitter. Thank you so much, Lisa. We will talk to you very, very soon again, I'm sure. Um, but before we close out, Ben, you and I had a... We're going to switch to a very light, sweet little bit of information before we close off for the day. You and I had a, like an awesome food night the other night last week. A great like co-host friend date. We did. We were both in crappy moods. I was feeling really, really sick, and you were exhausted from your day. And we went to the Dessert Professional Magazine's very first Top 10 Chocolatiers of 2015. And I'm not even a huge chocolate person at all. But I was loving it. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. It's my favorite. Their, their top 10 events are actually my favorite just because of the people that come. There are a lot of pastry chefs who I adore who are always there. Um, Damien Herigat and Miro Yuskakovic and Johnny Uzzini and friends of mine from, from the writing world. Um, so that's always really, really fun. Your favorite chocolate of the entire evening 
was by Santosh Tipter of Coco Sala in Washington, D.C. It was a peanut butter, butter and, jelly. and jelly, like square. It was, because oh, I love peanut butter and yeah. then the jelly was, was also, really good. Was, yeah. And so, so then, good. and then other friends were there. Um, Oliver Kita, who's up in Rhinebeck, who makes amazing vegan chocolates. They are stunning. I worked with him years ago for a magazine I wrote for. He was honored. Our neighbor, Daniel Sklar of Fine and Raw in Bushwick, top 10 cho- chocolatiers in the entire North America. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. So we were very proud to have them there and uh, Matthew Stevens the editor I adore him so he was there so we had a great time it was just a lovely evening but then we ducked out and we went and got some oysters and drank some ridiculous scotch ridiculous scotch at North End Grill because we were in Battery Park so when in Battery Park you go to North End Grill people you go to North End Grill you better now because I'm telling you this place I had never been there before I've worked with them I cannot wait to go and have like a nice dinner there because the menu looked incredible the scotch is off the charts the oysters were delicious. Yeah, we didn't. And the service eat. was fantastic. The service as well. is, yeah, the service is fantastic. Uh, Kevin Richer, he's the manager there. He, you know, we ordered some scotch and then he came over and he poured us a little tipple of a ninety-one Balblair, which was uh, delicious. Um, it's a great summer scotch. It's very to me, it was very green and fragrant. But then he poured us this nineteen sixty-five Balblair. is like bottled when it was thirty-seven years old. It kicked my ass. It came, really, and I fit. I might have finished. Benjamin scotches for him because it was just like it was I mean he was drinking beer it's not because he's a lightweight it's just because you know I was just sipping scotch um but yeah it was it was ridiculous it's the kind of thing where you're like I love my life I love my life this makes up for the fact that you make no money writing in the food world that you get to have experiences like this it was a great night yeah and Eric Korsh the the chef there came out and said hello we'll be back of course so we wanted to shout out some love to North End Grill it's a Union, Union Square hospitality restaurant in Battery Park check them out check out Dessert Professional Magazine we love them. We had a great time. So, Ben, that's our show for today. Aww. Aww. It felt really good today. It was great. And Lisa was awesome Lisa's to talk amazing. to. And like, like you were saying, I was cringing because I wanted to ask her yeah. one thing based on what she was saying. Her like, book is so really badly. good. It's a really interesting book. Um, I definitely recommend you guys get it. And we will, we will keep up the discussion about Unrequited Love, definitely. But that's our show for today. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for coming back. Next week, we have a completely different type of, of show for you. We are going to welcome Jolie Kerr. She's the host of Heritage's Ask a Clean Person. And she is going to spell out how to get things out of your sheets. Like chocolate and yeah chocolate right. and <laughs> other stuff that might be staining your bodily sheets. fluids perhaps. bodily fluids perhaps so she's gonna come on just in time it's gonna for, get a little raunchy in here just in time for valentine's day shopping so you know what things to buy and what things not to buy so until then please keep in touch Hang out, you know, hang out with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Our engineer was the most beautiful, wonderful, amazing engineer in the entire world, Liz Smith. We all adore and hail her. And next week, we'll tell you why we are feeling weepy and loving. Love you, Liz. Love you, Liz. Um, so she's our badass engineer. We love her. Um, our theme song is You Better You Bet, covered by Robbie Gill. And we are Jacqueline Raposo and Ben Rosenblatt. We'll be back at the same time next week at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. See ya. Network.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.